right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our episode of Talking Pit with the great Guy Hornsby. Guy's actually not too far away from me here at Pit, uh, just in Morgantown. So if I hop on 79 South and just roll right down there, um, there I can find Guy's, Guy Hornsby. And I'm also, um, I shouldn't say this on the episode, but I am West Virginia alum. I did play volleyball there. So it does have a slight sweet place in my heart, but I am from Pittsburgh. So that's how I ended up back here. But um, Guy, one, really excited to have you on the podcast, and I'll give everybody a brief uh, intro of a little bit about you. So this is Dr. Guy Hornsby. He is currently the assistant professor um, at WVU with the College of Applied Human Sciences. Um, he's also the head coach for WVU weightlifting. And then also he um, dabbles in a couple other things. So he does a lot. I don't know where you find all this time, Guy, but... Uh, he works in high school strength conditioning programs, and then also he's the volunteer WBU uh, track and field coach. And I've been very grateful for your help within the, the high school setting, Guy, with your GAs, because I've been lucky enough to create a pipeline with Guy getting um, the great Billy Cedar that's at Clemson right now, and then Matt Ante down working with the twins. But Guy, excited to have you on, and thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for for having me. It's always nice to do these things when there's a bit of a previous relationship. And then, you know, I think something that we both appreciate is you mentioned those those students of mine that have, have worked for, for you and now or else we're making the making the field better. Yeah, no, definitely. So um, if you want to be great, go be a GA for Guy Hornsby. Boom. There it is. But um, all right, Guy. Well, other than my brief introduction, uh, can you give us just a, a brief overview of your professional background? So just tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so um, I am in my, uh, geez, uh, seventh year now at uh, at WVU. Um, I I was at East Tennessee State for, for a long time. I did all three degrees, um, bachelor's, master's, PhD. So I was there eight total years. Um, it it wasn't a uh, situation of when I got there I would I knew I'd I'd be there that long but it just it worked out that way and um, I think that 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 experience was so uh, important for what I'm doing now and kind of how I honestly see the world I guess um, one of the real unique aspects to that was my first year at uh, at ETSU was Doc and Meg's first year um, uh, a W to make a to bring in a WVU connection, um, I was actually uh, playing Division II football right down the road at Fairmont State. Um, my dad at the time, he's retired now, was a professor at WVU in exercise physiology. And uh, Doc Stone came to give a presentation uh, as part of an interview process for uh, a position uh, within the Health Sciences Center in exercise physiology there. Um, and so I was blown away by that presentation. I was like, oh, this is, you know, this is sports science, not exercise science. And um, at that time, him and him and his wife, Meg, were at the Olympic Training Center. Um, he was the head of physiology. She was the head of coaching education. And so I got to I was lucky enough to to meet them. So my my dad was the one that suggested I come see this talk. My dad actually uh did his PhD at, at LSU where it was, that was Doc's first job where Doc, a lot of people don't know this, Doc was actually the first paid strength coach at LSU. Um, you know, the famous, very important to the field, Alvin Roy was, was b before that. 
Um, but Doc had this joint situation to where he was the head strength coach at LSU and a professor at LSU. Um, not sure how one survives that, but, and then over time, he kind of, he, he football went to someone else and then, you know, he was Olympic side. So my dad had, had known Doc and that's what led me to meet him when he came here, stayed in touch with them in sort of an interesting scenario of Meg called me probably this March, April time, um, my freshman year and asked me if I wanted to be a thrower for her. And she basically said that, um, so I didn't have a throwing background. She asked me uh, if I'd be interested. She said that at this point, all the good throwers are taken. And, and so, um, you know, it's recruiting wise, there's more to it than just looking at distances, but that is a big part of it. Um, The good, the far distances are taken. Maybe we could look at bringing in someone that has some good strength power situation and, and, and teach technique. And, And that's what I did. And so, for all of undergrad, Doc was my strength coach. Meg was my throws coach. Um, I transitioned to being a weightlifter in uh, when I when I went into grad school and sort of had this sports science strength and conditioning position. Baseball was my primary team, but I really worked with all of the teams for the rest of the five years. Did two training studies, so both my my thesis and dissertation were sort of this I, the idea of like this real world observational, just very very detailed, meticulous athlete monitoring. Um, first one was with throwers. The second one was with weightlifters. And that was by the time we had, uh, the Olympic training site designation through the, through the USOC. So it was kind of unique. We actually had scholarship weightlifters. Um, I bounced around a bunch of places kind of in between their military SNC, some academia jobs, um, academic jobs. And, and so, yeah, I've been here doing those things you you've listed for, for quite a while. And I think that that multiple hat experience, is really what I experienced at ETSU. And I got to experience in sort of this, it's, it's grown into something. It wasn't, you know, when, when we started, it was a, it was a racquetball court when we started and it wasn't, there was no PhD program. My, my first year in the PhD program was the first year the PhD program existed. And so I kind of got to see the building and the journey part. And I think, you know, something as a director you, you can appreciate is like that, the building part of it, there's, there's, there's a lot to it and it can be very stressful, but also very, very exciting. And, and the importance of like creativity and, and just planning and things not always working out perfect, but trying to do it the best you can. All that stuff was very helpful for me to see in many ways, eventually experience, especially at the, at the grad school level to be able to do what I do now. Man, you just taught me that was like a history lesson of all things <laughs> to go back um, how many years. And that's really, really cool to hear. And I think like prior to having social media, people don't realize some of these things happen. Right. But yeah. um, it's really cool to hear people's stories. And I was able to, to sit at Meg Stone's Summer Strong presentation over the summer just to kind of hear about her journey um, and how she compared training track and field to like football players and the different positions and body types that you see. And I thought that really resonated at a high level with me. And I really need to get to coaches college. Um, but sadly I travel a bunch of the fall. So I need to just like find a way to get there because I hear such good things about they, it. They so. they moved it to this past year. It was in October and that's the second time they've done that. It's almost always um, early December. I, I personally prefer the, the October time. Yeah. 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 Traveling with volleyball in the fall. It'll get me. So um, luckily we've gotten deep in the season, but I can't make it to coaches college, but soon I will. I will make it there. But um, awesome. Well, thanks for for sharing that uh, guy. That was really cool to hear. And 
Now just a deeper dive into what you were talking about, even with like Doc Stone many moons ago, wearing both hats of kind of helping clearly on the athletic side and the academic side. I think your role at West Virginia and even like when we got to collaborate and you brought your students up here um, to Pitt, can you talk to me a little bit about like what does a, a day in the life for a guy in Hornsby look like when you're dabbling in so yeah. many different things, high school, helping with track and field, help, helping with academics. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah, so I think that there's there's two really cool things about the program I'm in here. And when I say program, I mean like the specifically the academic program. So um, I'm I'm faculty in coaching in the coaching and performance science program. Um, we have an undergrad degree. We uh, we we have a master's degree, and then we have a doctoral program uh, degree that is uh, a, a partnered program between us and physical education kinesiology. And um, so I think two two very unique, helpful things for me and what I do is that one, you know, I, I all the previous academic positions I've held and it, it was this is kind of crazy because it was in a pretty short period of time, just a couple of years. My wife was finishing up med school. She was she had two more years when I finished. And so we were doing yeah that whole deal. Um, but so I was at the College of Charleston, I was at Virginia Commonwealth University, and I was at Glenville State. Her getting matched to WVU is what brought me back to West Virginia and um, at, at Glenville State for a year. Um, all of those positions were the more traditional sort of classic exercise physiology um, at the two bigger programs, Charleston and VCU. I was sort of the token applied person, you know, strength, talking about strength and conditioning things and, and, and even just sometimes just more applied ex-phys. Um, so here I'm able to be in a situation where it's much more coaching focus, much more sports science focus. And I think that's important one for me, like getting to focus on and teach the things that I want to teach and I'm excited to teach it, teach. Um, there's the, there's probably a better appreciation for doing sports science research, um, which, I mean, that can get into some boring talk about the grant getting situation for what I'm interested, applied sports science, and then the health, more clinical side of things where there's a quite a bit more money. Um, so that's that that coupled with having a master's program and especially a doctoral program, which I think is particularly unique. And so um, one of the things that if you try to wear multiple hats that I think is so important is you can't do it alone. And, and so like the ability to have, I, I'm, you know, I'll talk more about the SNC with the high schools in a second, but the ability to have GAs, the ability to have um, master's students that have experience. Um, like I have a master's student right now, uh, Olivia Rohrbacher, who's, she played tennis at Penn State. She worked, she interned with Josh Nelson in the sports science area, and she came to be part of our program. Um, she works day to day with women's basketball. And so you, you kind of build up that side of things. Um, then you add doctoral students uh, uh, to that. Um, I have three, three current doc students that, you know, you, you, you bring them in and then they kind of, you help them help themselves build um, as, as a group. And, and so I'm not doing it alone. That's, that's first and foremost. And then um, as far as the typical day, you know, if I kind of, put things in the lanes of like faculty role, track coach, weightlifting coach. Um, and, and then the high school situation, I would say those, those first three are pretty much timed blocked out sort of deals of for 
actually almost eight years now, we've been Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, the same times. Um, and so my coaching role with the weightlifters is, is pretty darn consistent. Um, and, and, uh, and then track and field, it, it changes, fluctuates a little bit. This is probably about as busy of a time as it gets with both. Like I'll be in, in Lubbock, Texas for big 12s, uh, this weekend, I'll be at the Arnold for university nationals next weekend. Um, but, so that's sort of like a day where there's all three of those. It's it can be pretty hectic of like teaching classes, maybe a faculty meeting. Um, throws practice usually tends to be in the morning. Um, I'm the one that my wife has to go to work typically pretty early, um, uh, especially on on days where she's in the OR. So I do the whole bus stop deal. Uh, yeah. And, and so bus stop, maybe throws practice, teach a class two hours of computer stuff, weightlifting, um, and then, and then, uh, either go home or go pick up from, from after school adventures. So, uh, it, 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 it can be chaotic. Um, and I think that you can't, you can't hold yourself to everything being perfect all the time. Um, being good with sort of, Coordinating with with others, particularly the grad students, is really important. And then um, I think we'll probably talk a little bit more concentrated focus with with the high school situation in a, in a bit. But um, that's sort of this supervisor type type role that I'm actually trying to kind of narrow down some things um, with. And I'm sure we'll talk about that with like people I'm bringing in and, and some things we're looking at doing moving forward. But yeah, it's uh, the uh, the this thing is just blown up. For those just listening, I picked up my phone. Uh, it's 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 a lot of it's a lot of texts, it's a lot of messaging, and it's it's a lot of that. So um, just constant communication, and and I'm 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 not a super uh, like everything has to be a certain way as far as you know. I don't have like strict communication rules. Maybe I should, but it's just just all over the place kind of all the time. And, and I try to kind of take it week by week by week within the bigger goal situation. Yeah. I think in your context, you get to touch so many different people and different age groups, you know, um, and different backgrounds. And sometimes I think about it as like my role, I'm lucky enough to be around like 19 different sports, you know, mm -hmm. and, and see one meet with different head coaches two see different types of training, um, depending on what that sport needs. And, I think it's really cool to hear about your guys' graduate program and then doctoral program, you know, and, and even being able to kind of bring in our students and whether it's like swap or whatever else so they can kind of learn from each other. Because at the end of the day, um, we're trying to really breathe the applied side with the classroom side and anytime that we can kind of get those spaces, bring them into the space so they can see that um, it's a win for everybody. So I think you guys are doing such great stuff, you know, and, and being able to, it's really cool to see now, like, you may have like your SNC interns, um, then your sports science interns and how they're interacting with one another now yeah. that those spaces are, are coming together and, and having unique conversations and asking questions. I mean, I, I, there's there's a, for, for example, like a strength conditioning GA of mine might be a weightlifter and a weightlifting coach. Um, they're then also in the master's program. And so not, not every strength coach of mine is a, is a weightlifter, but you know, that, that is something that has happened many times over and will, will happen again. Um, and so 
that's an opportunity to where there's so much blended, right? Like I'm interacting, not just in the, in the classroom and in this sort of formal situation, but I get to coach them. I get to see them coach and we can do a whole lot of connecting textbook research classroom to the very applied stuff. And I think it's also, it's so nice at times to like have all of these conversations and have all this interaction that isn't in many ways is related to, you know, let's say just learning about training or learning about athlete monitoring, but it's, it's not sort of this maybe forced isn't the best word, but this like, okay, this week we're going over this specific thing. Um, and so then you add to that the different students that have their different uh, situations and looks to them. And then they're sometimes as a group communicating with me or we're going out and doing things like visiting your program like we did over the summer. But then also it's helpful for them to be around each other when I'm not around, you know, and and the idea of bringing in passionate coaches and sports scientists that are going to want to talk about that stuff and do those things even when they don't have to. It's just what they want to do all the time. Um, I think that's how you, that's how you really build a culture and, and a situation that, that, um, is so much more helpful for, for us to be able to work within. Definitely. And then they don't know any different if you're kind of bringing them up in that way. And their first internship, they're around all these different parties. You don't have to use the word like collaboration, you know, it's mm-hmm. just like, Hey, it's just organic, you yep. know? Um, and I think even, we've had a lot of people apply to our sports science internship and strength internship. And they're like calling us asking like, I actually don't really know. I'm young in my career. I don't know which one I want to do. Can you kind of talk me through like what would be a better fit depending on like roles, responsibilities, curriculums. And um, actually one article that you guys uh, put out uh, pretty recently was, was helpful for that um, in our like article share group and, and giving us information around just some of these different things. So if you guys haven't checked it out, um, Guy was part of an article that was in the Journal of Functional Morphology, Morphology, I can't talk, and Kinesiology. Um, and then it was, are you doing any sports science? So I really enjoyed it uh, personally, and I know a lot of our students did too. Um, but first thing, Guy, like since I did enjoy it so much, I'm, I'm curious what sprung your interest um, with a great group of professionals to write this article. I really appreciate that. Uh, so I, I think there's probably two things. One, one was a more broader uh, deal of, you know, I, I'd say my my sports science experience has really been um, collegiate sport and weightlifters. Um, so, you know, there's a whole lot of cool things that I like to hear about and read about and listen to that deal with professional sport. But I've never worked with within that area. Um, and and so and part of that experience was sort of the ETSU experience where there were some some things there of like having Doc and Meg would be an obvious one. But then uh, sort of like situation logistics in that was a, a big part of it was small program, smaller school, right? At small athletic department. And so like you mentioned that thing about, I don't know which one I want to apply to sports science or strength and conditioning for, for me, they were one in the same. Um, and, and so I, you know, for like a team that, that I was the strength coach for, I was also the sports scientist. And um, that certainly was a great training ground for me. Uh, but then also there was sort of that very direct, like the person I'm trying to integrate 
my my stuff with i'm also on the bus and in the hotel and all that you know so there was so much more of like this direct situation and then also i think that one of the great things that i got to experience at etsu was there was quite a bit of appreciation for you know from these coaches that had been there and before our program before the sports science program existed um, a lot of them didn't have even a strength coach and so um you have that whole sort of like that whole scenario and then you have what i've experienced at wvu which has been more sort of like with maybe the exception of working with jared burton and, and some of his teams and then very much the, the track situation where i'm actually a volunteer coach um it's more of this kind of from afar filtered through maybe working with the strength coach and then that gets carried down to the sport coach um and so bigger school, right? Literally like ETSU, you're in the same building that all the coaches are. I mean, if I want to go talk to the baseball coach, like I go across the turf and I say hello. And it wasn't all, it's not always a, to talk about something formal, you know, it's just to uh, have a coffee and, and, and chat and uh, to where here we're talking different buildings, different locations, um and and all all the logistics of that um and that and that's even changed with you know they have a new weight room that's about a year and a half old um and so some of it was sort of that broader you know about uh feels old to, so old to say but over a decade of experience of that stuff and then actually actually very literally getting the question and questions like are you doing any sports science and uh to make a pit connection with this i actually remember I'd already started working on the paper, but uh, Felix and I actually had a good laugh about this. And he you know, said the very same stuff about like, uh, yeah, I get like I get that asked all of the time. And so uh, the very short version of, you know, getting asked, are you doing any sports science? It's like, well, sports science isn't an add on um, or it shouldn't be. It's like it's a integrated training process and you can be doing sports science with uh you know a lot of expensive technology or you could be doing sports science with very little to no technology um a big part of sports science i think is being evidence-based and process driven and planning things out and you know making some measurements and being reflective and communicating and um and so you know I, I to 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 give an example, a lot of times I'll hear like, are you doing sports science? And the answer is yes, we're doing. And they won't even say, I'm doing, I don't know, jump testing or power assessment or uh uh you know, internal, external load monitoring on the field. It's like, yes, we have we're doing we're doing uh connexon and force plates and heart rate or something like that. And it's like that it's not even just exactly what those words are. It's what that illustrates. And I think demonstrates as far as getting away from being, you know, problem solving, answering questions, or at least trying to um, people in process driven and, you know, it more like gadget driven. And sometimes sadly might even be like uh, uh, doing things so you can say you do them and doing them you know you can you can do some things you know, all those 
technologies I mentioned can be incredibly helpful and incredibly helpful for the process, um, but it isn't automatically the case. And so that's, yeah, that's sort of the, um, the, uh, the gist of, of the paper. I think one of the cool things that Ben Gleason, um, shout out to him, uh, was very helpful with, was some of the discussions we had of like, technology is fantastic. I mean, to, to, to mention Doc Stone again, I've had conversations with him of how the first half of his career, they didn't have email. They didn't have electronic uh, documents. Um, Technology is fantastic. But um, that, that whole thing we have in there about fingerprints, you know, the, the, if everything is so automated and easy and push buttons and we've seen like, developments that are very uh practitioner driven more like getting you know this isn't this is specifically for practitioners in the applied field of sport those things can be all very helpful but it can also be there's something to as especially from the learning side of things those fingerprints of like really learning how things work really learning how to uh, collect the data handle the data catch a mistake if there is one um that type of stuff. And so I think that, you know, that's, that's sort of a challenge for, for everybody in that you're not, you're probably not going to purposely pick something that is more cumbersome. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, you know, then that's the challenge of, of, uh, uh, for myself of like doing some things where they get some of that stuff of like, I, uh, we, when we did, we're for the first, almost the entire time actually at ETSU, we were using Rice Lakes force plates, so they're they're the tractor scales um, that sample at a thousand hertz. Um, we were using Lab View that got cut more and more better customized, I guess uh, would be a way to put it. And and you know, so much of it was by hand. Like literally, the first couple of years, we had to have actual paper to like mark where we were putting the 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 cursors at the specific time periods and like telling the computer these are the these are these different phases um that improved over time where we got away from some of that um but when you do that you learn a whole lot about force time curves and so when it's just you know you can do a jump and it analyzes everything right away that's both great but also i think a challenge in terms of the the educational side of uh, of, of that developing sports scientist. Yeah, guy, that's a really good point of, um, are you doing any sports science? It was funny when we hired our first director of sports science at Pitt being Felix, like you mentioned in June, and he comes in and clearly anytime you kind of come into a new program, as we all know, you like take some time to really evaluate and see what's already happening because the person before you, I'm sure, did a great job and, and laid some foundations and everything else. And when we were going into the meetings with all the different head coaches, it was a, a question of like, Felix would come in and be like, what do you guys care about? Like, what's going to make the team better? And they thought it was me automatically like, well, what technology do you want to use? Mm-hmm. You know, and like, what are you interested in? So they maybe have a list of like different pieces of tech and it's like, well, no, what do you care about? Like a lot of you guys are already doing sports science in some way, shape or form. Like a simple one is wrestling. Like we collect body weight on them all year round. Mm-hmm. So like you care about where their body weight's at in the summer, we can't gain and get too out of control and gain 50 pounds and then try to cut, like, let's be responsible. So like, that's already a metric we can look at that everyone cares about and can help with performance. But like, sometimes people don't think about sports science in that way. I think it has gone so much into um, even like it's crazy when we have new freshmen come in 
we'll talk about the high school realm. Um, but like a lot of these kids have already been exposed to like GPS yeah. wearing catapult and using force plates in their weight room. And the exposure at such a young age is uptaking so much that um, it's, it's really interesting. And if they come into your space and you're like, oh, you don't have that. Let's like, well, wow, interesting. <laughs> like wherever you're at, that's that's very like great that you have the resources to do that. But I'd be curious of what's happening on the other side of how is that informing decision making? And, and to your point, like really just illustrating and, and helping with problem solving at the end of the day. I think that's you know, great. I, I think that there's a, something that comes to mind with you saying that with body mass is that one of the things that gets lost in a in, in the sort of the technology movement and again it can be great but also it sometimes sometimes what gets lost is the importance of the people and so you can take someone that has a background to where they can really like take something like body mass measures it's not just getting someone on a scale and writing it down there can be a process to that in looking at, you know, the calendar, the training plan, body composition every now and then, hydration, um, and then how literally the, the data is handled and communicated. And I actually, I really like that, whether it's body mass, body composition is kind of a, a go-to example, particularly body composition uh, of like everyone everyone pretty much agrees that silos are bad and, 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 you know, the general high performance uh, model and all that of like breaking down silos and having these networks that allows for integration and communication. Um, and something, you know, that we've seen a lot is uh, different kind of units or departments within an athletic department building up, right? Like sport nutrition, sport psychology, sport science to go along with, you know, what's been here for a while, sport medicine, strength and conditioning. And, that's like a perfect example, I think, of something where it's it could be potentially relevant and in many cases very relevant uh, in all of those things. Right. But um, sometimes things get boxed in of like, well, this is you know, this is the group that's in charge of this. And. How is it analyzed? How is it communicated? How is it shared? Um, or is it just well, we need to get this all the time. Um, and And so. Yeah, everyone's got a scale. Not everyone can handle that data the exact same way. And so there's something to the the handling and the, the, the communicating of it that is very much sports science. Definitely. There's a there's an art even when we send like end of season reports after the fall. Like if I just send the report and add no context, like that's mm -hmm. probably gonna be a really bad option of they're gonna read it whatever context they think it is. And then if I'm not there to kind of like deliver it really communicate it like you're saying so I think sometimes people get caught up in sending stuff but adding no context and then that leaves the sport coach just thinking like whatever they want to think which a lot of the time will kind of align with maybe the mood that day or like who's playing well on the court and who's not and then they just start to like jump to a b c and d and it's like hey I think there there's definitely an art and creativity to when taking the information especially if it may be bad news you know yeah. or I, or good I, news it's, it's interesting I have an analogy for that, and that it, it's a home gym. Um, so they say, uh, you know, home gym compared to if you're talking about someone that actually drives to a gym to work out. Obviously, there's some people that have memberships that just don't ever go. But they say uh, home gym is great because you can work out anytime. 
Um, but you never work out because you can work out anytime. And so to, you know, kind of what you're saying about I'm picturing like the, the AMS stuff um, to where it's just, it goes into, you know, we have an API, it goes into the cloud. Um, one, make sure that there aren't mistakes because that can happen. Um, but then two, the, certainly an AMS can be used very, very well um, and, and successfully. But um, if it's just this idea of like, coach, you can log in and look at it anytime. And it's got this summary type stuff. You know, you, you, you need the people part too, and you need the, uh, the communication and something that uh, you hit on is one, sometimes you actually might need to give them bad news. Um, and, and, and one of my bigger frustrations with athlete monitoring getting so popular is it's great. It's getting popular, but sometimes we leave out the, the program efficacy aspect of athlete monitoring of performance assessment, assessing your program, learning about your program. So it's not just what happened. It's what you did to make those things happen. Um, and, and then also with that communication part, um, you know, to to the to back to the example of, of of body composition there's been times for various reasons because of like knowing the coach and having worked with that coach being like you know we're going to do uh we're going to give them some of skin fold because we think for various reasons that that's more helpful than a body fat percentage um and that's you know that's something that comes from knowing that coach and interacting with that coach and kind of figuring out what is the best way to, to, to deliver information. Definitely. It's, it's an art that probably isn't valued enough, you know, of, um, and, and then being able to like morph into going to talk to more of like a testosterone dominant, like head coach of like a football or like a wrestling, like I said, or, and then like trying to figure out with some of the female sports, like how to deliver some of this information because you have to be cognizant of like what you can or can't deliver. Uh, I think, yeah, it's an undervalued art that if you find a really good sports scientist that joins your staff, like you hold it in high regards, you know, especially as you like sit down at the end of the year and you're evaluating, like, what can we do better? It's like, man, it's almost like, compliance they usually have to deliver bad news to coaches a lot of the time right so like trying to talk with different parties about delivery and I think sometimes head coaches think about sports science as always doing less and I think to your point like when you sit back and look at how things are overlaying as you're evaluating and doing testing and assessment and then also looking at your training like a lot of the time it's doing more almost or like hey like coaching them up of this if there's a time to push like let's do it on these two days so I think having more of those conversations versus like always going in their office and saying, well, I'm bad news, but do less. I think finding and, and marrying the balance of all these different things is difficult. And some people are doing it better than others, but nobody has. Here's, here's a, a, a ETSU to WVU comparison when I was new here. Um, I won't say the team, but uh, I, to me, after doing force plate assessment battery, um, the most obvious thing to say was your athletes need to get a whole lot stronger and that's based on actual strength levels and power levels uh and then also looking at you know comparing like freshmen to sophomores juniors seniors that can tell us something about what's the development situation looking like within this team and the other people i was working with were like you can't we can't say that and I, I was at that time, now I'm a little bit more used to things like that, but at that time I was very confused. I was like, well, it's not, 
it's the most helpful thing. It's just wanting to to be helpful and to provide helpful, uh, hopefully actionable information. Um, and and then something else you hit on there with the uh, communicating with coaches and the, and the and the the, the technology is that. I think that it's so important, and this comes back to the human side of like putting things within the context of you know, where the coaches are comfortable. And and I've seen, you know, various examples of like, and I think actually this example we give in the paper of uh, you know, two, two, two players uh that like let's say it's soccer, same position. Um, they do essentially the same external workloads and one has a much higher internal load response. And then the coach may be looking at that and saying, well, this, this person's average heart rate was 150. This person's average heart rate was 130. The person that's 130 needs to, needs to work harder versus like, well, no, that's actually, they're, they're more fit than the other, than the other one. Um, I've seen things like, um, having player load goals for for games, and we we published a paper a couple. Uh, this had been the data was collected twenty twenty, um, so it was kind of interesting. It was a COVID like all just conference game season, and none of this is probably surprising um, in games that were lost or losing uh, so, you know, throughout most of the game. Uh, workloads were higher, substitutions were less. Both of those things aren't surprising. You want your best players on the field when that happens. And then just the the, the context of the game of like, we're pushing, right? We, uh, and and so uh, the last thing you'd want to do is my, the games where they lost were the highest player loads. Um, ideally, let's get up by three and just, just, just coast and relax and not work as hard. Um, you know, I've seen competitions at practice with, uh, this is, I'm thinking now of a different example of sport, but like, um, you know, the, the idea that the most, the most efficient players, they do the less work. They, uh, to, to this, this is a blast from the past example of, of, I remember when I was at Fairmont state, one of the, uh, uh, we had a defensive back who wasn't a starter and he had the best 40 on the team. And, uh, the head, I heard the head coach tell the defensive coordinator, you need, you need to get so-and-so out on the, the field. Um, he's so fast. And he said something of he's, he, he, he's gotta be fast because he's always in the wrong place, right? More, more efficient players go to where they need to be. Um, and, and so you don't want to, coaches really tend to know the sport. Right. And so that that's something they're comfortable with. The last thing you want is the technology and those things to get in the way of some of that. And as I think as a sports scientist, you want to make those connections to where you can help them understand the context of where this stuff fits in to what they do as coaches. Yeah, it's um, it's really interesting because clearly, luckily, you were at. ETSU and able to spend so much time there and they were such an early adapter of this whole sports science model but um a lot of other places clearly came along way later in the yeah. states of hey this thing sports science you know it's been happening over in Europe or Australia you know or whatever else um and in the places that didn't adapt as as early as clearly Doc Stone and Meg Stone were able to to bring 
uh, a very, very successful program to ETSU that you were able to, to be there with. But places like when I was at Mississippi State, we, we barely added like a, a sports science intern um, scraping the surface. And that was like 2018. And now just this past summer, I've added a director of sports science at Pitt. But now we're in 2022, 2023, when clearly overseas, they have been doing it for a hot minute. But Guy, in your opinion or thoughts, like, what are things that we've done well in the U.S. since like a lot of the time, clearly maybe over overseas, they kind of tested out the waters and did some different things and made some mistakes for us. But on the flip side, like clearly what have we done well adapting all of this, but what could mm-hmm. we definitely do a whole heck of a lot better? I'm curious. Ooh, that's a big question. So I, I, <laughs> I think that um, I think one, if, if you if I take a step back, I think that uh just the idea of, of all of the sports science movement and and positions getting created and people getting these jobs and there's these certain expectations. It shouldn't be a shock that you introduce this whole new thing within a, a, a sport model that has its own issues outside of sports science. Um, and, and so that there would be rough patches and, and figuring out and all that. And so, you know, I, the, the pessimist in me might go to places of like, well, athletic directors might be investing all this this money, and, and at some point they might say, well, do we do we win more because of of, of these things? Um, but at the same time, I really think that we're to a. I actually worry about that less now, in that I think that we're to a point where the investments have built and built, and maybe not always perfectly and in the right direction in that, but. I'm 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 to the point now of like things are getting established. More people, um, more trained people are are getting these roles. Um, sometimes there's probably some learning by failing that 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 goes on. Um, and so I think honestly, I think it's going to be another ten plus years to where there's more of you know one of the things I think that's it's so exciting when a place hires a sports scientist for the first time within an athletic department, it also oftentimes is sort of this, like, you got to create your job and then you have to explain your job. And that's not, that's not a great place to be. Um, Sometimes the people that you're explaining the job to might not have any way of knowing what's, what's good, what's not good. Um, How do we define success? Um, is there a support system there to, you know, uh, to carry things out well, both from the standpoint of like the, the, the coaching side and the integration side? Is this something like, um, is it sort of you can take it or leave it, coach? Or is this like an expectation that is not just you have to do this, coach, but like these are the goals and the things we're trying to accomplish by doing it. Then there is there a support system of like, I mean, I don't I don't know how some of this gets done of one sports scientist for an athletic department of like 25 teams or or something like that. Um, so I think that those types of investments, though, demonstrate to me that people want to figure it out. And, and, and so I don't think it's going anywhere. Um, I think that. Um, getting a better understanding of so if we say and we we it's actually another sports science type 
paper that we did a couple of years ago. It was like exploring three different, we call types of sports science within NCAA um, to where we kind of, with these three general types, it was uh, partner athletics partners with academics, athletics uh, hires sports scientists, athletics buys a bunch of technology. And then obviously there's, you know, there's examples where those things start to get blended and there's combinations and, and such. But um, so in there, we talk about how a, a high performance director and a sports scientist aren't necessary, aren't the same thing. They're not the same jobs. A high performance director can be a sports scientist. And I think that that background and training makes, makes a whole lot of sense, but the, you know, the skill set of, of a sports scientist in terms of someone that can do sports science, high performance director sort of leading a group and building out a structure and a system and defining roles and, um, you know, that whole process. Those are two different things. And I think that needs to get kind of better understood and figured out. And I think there are some places that are are doing that. Um, and I think that that would alleviate one of these big issues of sports science, sports scientists might be put on an island, right? And, and to where, you know, it's, it's, it's this more formalized operation of, and, and you mentioned international situation, right? Where we have some really good examples of this, um, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, AIS, whether it's some some places in uh, both both Europe and Asia, um, and and so figuring out that structure of stuff, I think, is really really the next step, um, and and that would alleviate the sports scientists being on an island, and I think that that would better you know the process of building all that helps the athletic administration side that doesn't have a background in this stuff um, better understand what we're trying to do and why we're, why we're trying to do it. Um, and it, it will, you know, a lot of the technology is helpful and the gadgets are very nice to be able to actually make measurements. Um, you can't, you know, you can't do sports science without measurement measurements, a big part of it. Um, but making it more meaningful, purposeful and, um, starting with the, 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 the people in the process and then, okay, what, what do we need to measure for these measurements to make sense? How do we communicate those things? Um, you know, what, what my kind of go-to example with some of this is, um, the, the UFC performance Institute hired, uh, Duncan French and Bo Sandoval sports scientist, strength coach several years ago now. Um, and then they built the building. Okay, so they got the people, then they built the building. Um, there's several examples of building is built, then they hire the people, and and so that high performance model, the the people first, the structure system that comes after, and then the I mean, it doesn't actually have to literally be a building, but the 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 stuff, the technology, the devices, maybe a building um, that needs to be the sequence, and so. I think that a lot of the things that are going on right now are really great. It's more a systems thing to where order, moving it around, a hierarchy, a structure, a system. Um, and then this is sort of my personal soapbox of never getting too far away and ideally never getting away from 
coaching and training process. I know that there are some things where you could get into like analytics and some other stuff that could be helpful and relevant at times. But I think for the day in and day out, that's kind of the lens, my personal bias of where we should should view this stuff. Yeah. And I think it's interesting, depending on the models that we're seeing, that not only are you seeing sports science departments being created, but you're also seeing sports analytics Mm -hmm. being created at the same time. And I think not only like educating people around like what is sports science, but I think too, depending on the school that you're at, like what is sports analytics? And I think that just comes into a whole other conversation of like having the best thing to do is, Hey, like a lot of the time, a lot of these things start at the pro levels or reaching Mm -hmm. out to colleagues, whether it's an MLB, NFL, NHL, NBA of like, Hey, what have you seen work? What have you seen not work? And then try to learn from people's mistakes before you start integrating it and, and really figuring out different ways. Um, so I think collaborate sometimes is a misused word or it's kind of like a, a word that like really gets coaches. I think it's more of like integrate and align right between each other um, and, and figure out how things are really going to run and whether it's systems or building frameworks of, of what's going to work for your specific school, because every one situation is just a little bit different, yeah. right? Like people ask me from a leadership standpoint, do I lead the same way or am I building things out the same way as I did at Mississippi State at Pitt? Like I had nine teams at Mississippi State. I have 19 teams here at Pitt. So like the model and the framework is going to look different. Um, and I have a way larger staff and a lot more people that I'm over. Um, but I think it's always super helpful to talk to other universities and other colleagues of, hey, what's working for you? You know, like, how did you do the same thing? And then kind of putting your ego aside to be like, I just want to learn so I can have success wherever I'm at. So I think that takes me into my next question for you, Guy, of just being so well-versed and having a, a big network. Who are some people that you would say to reach out to that are doing right now, like a really good job of, of building out some of these models that people could reach out to of like, hey, I'm adding sport, a sports science department next year. Like, I need some help of how to get this thing off the ground and what defines success to your AD and how am I going to actually assess and evaluate this this new position? Um, any good people that you think like are really starting to make big steps in the right Yeah, for, for sure. Um, so all three of these fellows are uh, ETSU grads. Um, and I think they're, you know, to, to briefly and depending on who and where I might know more or less about what's actually going on, but um, I think that their situations are actually very, very relevant to what you just said. Um, so, uh, Aaron Kunanen, um, director of sports science for, for the Cincinnati Reds, um, had to give a shout out to, uh, who he, someone he just hired to lead the minor league side of things in, in Jason Stone, who's a, a doc student of, of, of mine. Um, but so, Aaron, Aaron said that uh, there's roughly 30 staff that fall under that big umbrella of sports science. And so you compare that to the one <laughs> or, or maybe none and we're trying to figure it out. It's a whole different situation. Um, and I think that, you know, the, to that point of situation, I think that like you mentioned, so often things start at the professional level and then spill on down. And sometimes that is great and really helpful, but then sometimes 
it's not. And, and I think that there can be, you know, some basic differences between collegiate and, and professional of like the long-term development aspect of, of collegiate versus professional, the lack of control with, um, um, uh, collective bargaining agreements and, you know, the, they don't have to necessarily work with the strength coach all the time and they might be gone seven months out of the year. And, and, um, I think one of the really cool things about professional baseball is it's a bit unique, uh, to the other, probably most other popular, uh, professional sports in that it's usually a long-term investment, right. Of, you know, we're going to draft an 18 year old and it's going to be four or five years before our investment pays off and they, they make it. So, I think there's some cool aspects there. Um, uh, Howard Gray at Texas A&M. Um, and so Howard's been at A&M for, for quite a while. I want to, I could be, this might not be exactly, I think it's like about 10 years, probably since like 2014. Um, and so um, he's moved into like an, an administrative position, which I think is incredibly exciting. And I think that thinking about that, that, high performance model that might be the place for someone in that role to, to sit. Um, I think that would make a lot of sense. And then not only has he done things like bring in really good people like, uh, uh, like Bo Sandoval from the UFC, but then, but then also I think uh, uh, what he's been able to build and it's, it's a, you know, I, I, I could probably talk at nauseum about some, some issues with like the whole, uh, athletic department within higher education system. And, you know, I, I like to give some comparisons to other applied fields like medicine, like art, whether it's performance or fine art, we say some of that stuff in that, in uh, the, uh, the, in the three types of sports science within the NCAA paper, we refer to that. Um, but beyond that typical soapbox stuff, I give sometimes the nature of like academia moves so slow sport moves so fast right and and so um this has taken a lot of time but to howard's credit he's been able to build this the situation of they're they're hiring um both some faculty so like this is agreed upon integrated situation between i don't i don't know the exact name of the uh, academic side but we'll say kinesiology department um hiring both faculty that have like these dual sort of roles. Um, I know, like, I know, I, I believe one is going to be uh, like working with Bo on the intern SNC education side. So we have this more formalized process of classroom and application. Um, same, you know, some faculty that are more sports science type roles um, and then funded doctoral student positions that uh, I believe are all going to be in that sports science role. Some are no, I, I think the one like they hired, the first one they post was actually an analytics job. Um, and I, I want to say th uh, three, um, I don't over time. And so to me, that makes a whole lot of sense. It is really, really difficult to do. And just my personal opinion, way too difficult to do when, I mean, we're talking about uh, higher education and a school and athletic department that's, supposed to be within the school but it might be more on the side of it at times um and so i think that that some of that stuff is is really exciting and and i think it's a really good example of 
Um, you know, one of the issues I think we have in sports science is like, and we probably see this more at the professional level than the collegiate, but to that point of sport going so fast, um, you know, how many examples could we give of like sports science group or person or people was, you know, at a place for two or three years and then they change. And then a couple of years later it changes. And so instead of having 10 years of like, you know, building out monitoring and assessment and an analytic situation and, and all of that, it's um, testing might get changed. The device might get changed. And so it's not a building, building, building. There's probably too much starting over. Um, and then I'd, I'd say John Waggle at University of Notre Dame, where I think he has kind of a unique situation with how that position is funded and the investment. And, and he probably is inheriting, um, you know, Duncan French was there pre previously. Uh, I think he's inherited a situation that's pretty robust already. Um, and so he'll be able to take his experience and expertise and, and, and build out from there. Um, and then, because in the in the sheet you asked me for up and comers, I mentioned I mentioned Jason, but I'd I'd also mention Dylan Suarez, who actually vacated the position that Jason is in, um, and now he is uh, leading sports science for for the San Francisco Giants. A theme of all of those people I just mentioned um, is they have all really worked in sport before moving into these sports science roles. Um, they were athletes, they were coaches, they were strength coaches. Um, they've been in it, so to speak. And now the roles have changed some, but I think that that is a very valuable part to being a sports scientist um, and that you learn a whole lot of, of how to, you know, um, uh, we, we talk about uh, the lens in that, are you doing any paper? And I think that that, that's a big part of it. And, and you're talking about a, a, a scientist role that is so multifaceted. There's so many sciences. There's, there's such a blend of everything that personal bias, I think it helps um, sort of carve and, and, and cultivate that lens with those, those real world sport experiences. Yeah, no, all great names that I'm very familiar with because even um my Aaron Duval was with other Aaron um, mm -hmm. at ETSU at one point. Um, so they had that connection in some way, shape or form. And then actually I was just at Texas A&M this past fall. Oh, really? Howard Gray um, for volleyball was nice enough to meet with me and take awesome. me around to all the facilities and go see Bo. So really just great human um, and also very intelligent. And we, we talked, I used him as a wealth of knowledge when talking about building our, our department and he's been, yeah, he's been there for a while. So he's really seen the, the process through, which was super helpful. And then Waggle, I feel like I've known him for a really long time. And I remember I met him at the Notre Dame Performance Summit, like uh, before COVID, which okay, was yeah. forever ago. Um, and he had complimented me. He's like, hey, you've hired some really great guys between uh, Matt and Billy. Um, and that's when we made the connection. And yeah, the rest is history. And now we're in the same conference. So it's super exciting that I get to see him more uh, through passing. Yeah, I got to I got to see him at the NSCA. It had been the first time I, in, in the coaches conference. First time I gotten to see him in a while. Yes. No. So all, all great people and, and wealths of knowledge. So definitely follow up and reach out. And yeah, the Reds, they have a lot of great people there. I think yeah. um, if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, Matt Van Dyke, maybe his brother's there. 
okay. um, with the Reds as well. So another uh, good little tree of people to say the least, but awesome. Well, we'll probably take a left-hand turn here because um, I want to dive into a little bit of your high school settings. I think the high school realm of strength and conditioning just isn't spoken enough about. Mm-hmm. And sadly, like with me, just always working in college, I don't really get to see that side of things other than I get the the end product of they go through high school and then I'm sometimes throughout the transition in the summer, we'll talk a little bit and then poof, they're here. But um, can you talk to me a little bit about like your role within the high school setting in West Virginia um, and just really kind of the future of high school strength and conditioning? Like where could we can do better? Because I know a lot of the kids that we may get, like some may come from IMG, uh, but some may come from uh, like me. Butler High School in Pennsylvania, where we had no strength coach, our weight room was like three random racks they threw into a space. And maybe we'd have the football coach as our strength coach one day, and then the track uh, throws coach as our strength coach another day. So can you talk about, one, your role in high school strength conditioning as of, as it sees right now or sits? And then two, um, a little about the future and what we can do better in that space as well. Yeah. So, I mean, I think very simply, high school strength conditioning is very important, and there's a really poor system in the U.S. to do it. And so it's it's why I'm so appreciative of uh, my situation here. Of uh, we have a I have a contract, um, a service grant contract with Monongalia County Schools. There's three high schools in the county, um, and through that grant, we're able to provide a head strength coach uh, in the form of a GA to to all three places. Um, I'm, you know, some of just the typical challenges in, in high school strength and conditioning is that, um, the typical training and development of a strength coach and the typical training and development of a teacher and maybe specifically a physical educator, um, are different. And, and with the rules within the public school setting of needing a teacher's license, um, you know, I think a great way to do it, and there are plenty, plenty of examples of places that are doing this. Um, different states have some different rules. And so to, to answer, I mean, the big question that you asked, it's a little, that's very challenging because of how different states have have different rules. Um, I actually had a fantastic Zoom a couple of days ago, uh, uh, incoming GAs and myself, Zoom with Spencer Arnold down in Georgia. And he like he's a high school strength coach at a private school and his essence, he's able to carry out SNC through uh, through class, um, which I think makes a whole lot of sense. Um, I'd love to be able to do it that way. Um, private, you can get away with that because they don't have the teacher's license rules. I think that ideally the way to do it would be um, you had the licensed teacher and they can do all the pedagogy and curriculum and assessment and all of that. But then you have the qualified strength coach for that school. Okay. Um, it, is there some, some way that you could have someone have both? Yes. But I just, I think that like, like systems wise, I don't think that that's going to, to, to do it. Um, so all of our SNC is uh, after after school. Um, I I'm sort of I guess I think an important aspect is that it can't just be HR in in that it's more it needs to be more than just filling those roles. Okay, and so recruiting is certainly Im- important, but myself as a as a supervisor. Um, 
you know, it's it's sort of it, the, the challenge for me. I love having three GAs instead of one, but it is more difficult when you have three schools versus one to where I could be there more often. And so having a philosophy in a, in a system and a structure in place, I know I've used those words a ton today, um, but to where the the training programs don't massively change every two years when a GA comes and another one or you know leaves and another one comes in. Um, some consistency with training, consistency with terminology. Um, you know, because SNC field is the way it is, there's a whole lot of good strength coaches out there that aren't able to get GAs and want one. And so we're able to bring in really, really good strength coaches. And while you know GAs cost some money. Um, it's way cheaper than a full-time position. And, you know, if you're a high school and you're near a college or university, I think it's a, an interesting thing to think, to, to look into. I think it's, I really think you need a faculty member to oversee it that has, they don't have to have been a strength coach, but I think they need sort of an NSCA strength and conditioning background to where, um, I was lucky in that I, I, so I inherited this program and I immediately was like, well, we we need to advertise this job where strength coaches see it because it, no strength coaches are going on like the WVU graduate assistantship site and looking for a strength initiating GA. Um, and so I, I see it sort of as this cohort, right, of this. These are some of the basic ways we're going to do things. I think recruiting is massively important and that I don't want to be the person that just like only goes to their go-tos at the same time there are people in places that I, I i trust and i think it's you know with some of just the basics of like wanting to see certain terminology m more for the communication situation um so it's less confusing for the kids and the coaches um you know ba the basic ideas of like block periodization for strength power development bringing in bringing in strength coaches that have some experience with that. And ideally I think would we'll be doing that type of thing anyway, makes it a whole lot easier for, for me and everyone. Um, but, you know, just to, to rattle off the last five GAs that we've had graduate the program um, you mentioned uh, Billy and Matt who are, are, you know, now Clemson and, and, and with the twins um, Bailey Gesselin is at the University of Indiana. Greg Warren, shout out to him, just got a huge job. Uh, he's now an assistant strength coach at the University of Virginia. This actually is his first first week. He was the head strength coach at Benedict College. Um, and then our most recent one, Wesley Gowell, is a uh, doctoral fellow at ETSU. Um, and so clearly these GAs can get good jobs when they leave here. Um, you know, I think that I liken it to a different version of like being the head strength coach at a division two school to where like, you know, one, one of the things they all say when they're, when they're done is, and, and get into that sort of first job situation of like, I had to do so much management stuff that other, it seems that other people similar to them, entry-level position in that didn't have to do like weight room schedule, communicate with the AD, communicate with coaches, um, all of those things. And I think that's a massively beneficial experience. Um, and, and so I've been very happy with um, how the, how the program's gone. I think, you know, first and foremost, you want to boost numbers because that's, a, that is a challenge. Um, and I, 
we we have done that. Um, moving moving forward, I'm actually doing something um, that I'm really excited about. In that, so um, I'm bringing in one. Her name's Hannah Swerple from the University of Michigan. She's entering with them now. Um, I mentioned go to places. This will be my third Michigan person from uh, from the Olympic sports staff. Um, actually, I take that back. Four: uh, Bailey, Billy, Wes, now Hannah. Um, and then I'm bringing in my first doctoral student um, uh, to be a GA. Uh, his, his name is is Josh Gibson. You had a question in there about podcasts at the end. He has his own podcast he's been doing for quite a while. Um, Philosophical Weightlifter is the name of that. Um, and, and so I think that one of the nice things that Josh will be able to bring um, on the S&C side is that I want to more formalize assessment. Um, and, and to where, you know, I think that, uh, I have Pasco force plates. I have a portable, uh, Cairo rack for isometric strength testing and being a bit of a team with this of like, okay, we're going to do these same tests at all the three high schools. And that when, like, when we do that, we have three qualified strength coaches. So let's have three of them versus just the one on their, on their own. Um, I think it's exciting from a research standpoint of like, uh, okay, we'll first start cross-sectional, right? So freshmen, sophomore, junior, seniors, what does their, you know, force, force time curve look like, you know, strength power profile, being able to combine three, much bigger sample, then getting into development. How do they change over, over time? Can we maybe try to tease out some, if we can get, I mean, this is maybe, uh, 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 a bit ambitious, but if we could have some, some non-athletes tests as well and try to kind of tease out maturation versus, versus strength conditioning development. Um, and, and so, yeah, I'm really, really excited uh, about that. And, you know, with being a doc student, Josh will, will be here for, for a bit longer. And so he can kind of help me with some of that. Um, and, and then um, trying to think, I, I, we're in, we're in a period where we're losing two. Those two are coming in. I have uh, Lauren White, who actually did a virtual internship with you at Mississippi State. She's currently in 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 the program now, and and so um, it actually this is actually the first time it'll be this way. But they're all they're they're all three uh, weightlifters and, and weightlifting coaches, and so that speaks to um, some of that cohort being around one another all the time, living in those living in those uh, different worlds um, and get some to that, that question at the top of like, what's my day look like? Well, it's a little bit easier to see all of them all the time when they're doing a bunch of things right um, together. So uh, yeah, I think it's a, uh, it's the type of program that if you have a faculty member that can lead it, um, can, it can really work well. And I don't know any of the details about it, but I know, um, Ernie Reimer at the University of Louisville um, has a program that's new that's like within a, maybe a year maybe two um, and it's that similar idea and so I, I think it's something that could really really be beneficial um, it's a little tough to do exactly what I'm about to say with three but the idea of act like actually observing the students coaching right um, to where we can really connect classroom uh, 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 to the field and then something we're also 
um, formulating now, and some of this came about with looking at the NSCA requirements for the uh, accreditation for CSCS 2030, is more formalizing, and Josh will, will be helpful with this as well, um, intern situation to where looking at how could we, so we have our degrees coaching and performance science. We have one of three area of emphasis they have to pick. For the strength and conditioning area of emphasis, looking at could we do a thing where they actually get to do some traveling, right? Like go to all three and learn from all three. Um, I've found that RGAs are such good mentors and teachers because, you know, they're they're young and energetic and, and they actually need the help. And so uh, anytime a, a student says they want to be a strength coach, I always recommend do this first, you know, before you apply to, to WVU or maybe some of the, the smaller schools in the area to where you can get get some real hands-on experience and, and get some mentored experience. Man, that makes me excited to go back and do my GA. I had to do an online GA back in the day. And of course, I think that's just the power of with getting rid of the GA roles at a lot of different schools mm -hmm. now, because um, sometimes it's expensive or sometimes they're phasing it out, whether it's athletic training, but uh, the GA roles, like that's how I was able to coach my first teams, yep. you know, and really figure out like, hey, one, is this something I really see myself doing long-term or not? And uh, two, just get, into the team environment and the lead before you get into a full-time role and then it's too late and you're learning in a full-time role, which is an ideal. So it's just the building blocks of getting you ready um, and maturing in the, in the right scheme or the right level. So. Yeah. And we, I mean, we're, we constantly um, go over pro training programs and, and, and share the training plans and, and have meetings and um, you know, it's, it's sort of a, that's sort of like an in-between the classroom situation um, and sometimes I will bring in the the others that that aren't aren't GAs, but um, they're not. They have so they have a lot of responsibility, a lot of management stuff, and at the same time, they're not just on their own. Definitely mentorship. And they're lucky to have you, guy. Big facts. But uh, I'm gonna have to check out Josh Gibson's podcast. Then I'm definitely gonna dive in next time I'm on the treadmill or getting a workout in. I try to multitask, but. Um, well, Guy, you're always up to many different projects, um, whether it's writing books, um, anything that you've done recently or you have coming up that you want to share or just any other other than Josh's podcast, of course, any good books that you want to share with any of our listeners to dive into? So, I mean, there's so many good podcasts. I, I tend to, to when I look at podcasts, it's, you know, maybe topic or or, or person. And, I, and so I, I bounce around a lot. Um, a couple books that that I always recommend to my students is one, the sports gene. Um, I think it's it's it's, you know, the sports gene outliers and a, an older book called Foss Gold that deals with the old East East Germany. Um, you know, it's a lot of students have only seen a little bit of sport. And, and I think that it's helpful for them to get a, a broader view. Um, and, you know, whether it's genetics, whether it's culture and society, um, I, I always suggest the, the documentary uh, Icarus on, on Netflix. Um, you know, even, even myself, it, it really wasn't until, you know, probably the second half uh, uh, of leaving ETSU have I gotten to see more of like the international scene of, of of sport and so i think all that stuff is is so so helpful to kind of better understand um 
you know, not everyone's, not every athlete you're going to work with is going to have the best genetics. Um, different athletes, especially in the collegiate setting, you get to work with athletes from all over the world. Um, appreciating one sport that maybe you didn't appreciate um, much before can help you appreciate other sports. And, and so, you know, I think that we, we live in a, a, a situation now where everything's so social media and uh, like U.S. professional sport to where um, to steal from a, a baseball coach I, I worked with. I remember him being all bothered after having a couple recruits in and he said something like uh, he said, these kids don't watch baseball games. And I said, what do you what do you mean they don't watch baseball games? And he was like, if you if you ask them what who's their favorite team, they'll tell you a player or players and not a team. When you ask them, you know, wh how often do you watch baseball games? It's more like uh, the highlight. So this dates it a little bit. He said the highlights on Sports Center. Now it's probably Instagram and other social media to where, you know, you're seeing the amazing play, but not sitting there on the couch for three hours watching the game and so i think that any and all of that stuff is so important to just to, to, to consume sport and 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 to uh to be in it so to speak that is like the most accurate especially when they're like over the holidays when i go home and see my family and i'll be like guys like all my little cousins or anything else like and they're picking up soccer and who's your favorite team and yeah exactly they'll say one player so i think mm -hmm. like you're saying it's across I mean, an easy, an easy baseball comparison is, you know, a player who doesn't have the best numbers, but is real consistent, is clutch. And I know there's some date, there is statistics for that, but, uh, you know, a catcher that makes always when he's catching makes the pitcher better and um, maybe may hit 250, but gets the hits when they're really needed. Um, and then uh, the player that makes the the sports center type top 10 highlight, but then there might also be some other not great things. Just sitting there and and, and watching, I, I'm, I, I always tell my weightlifters, um, like watch full sessions of the Olympic Games, um, a snatch and a clean and jerk only take a couple seconds. If you watch an entire session, it's two hours. And remember, they wait in two hours before that. Um, there's 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 a whole lot to it. You know, I love the Olympic coverage because the, not only is it the Olympic Games, uh, but then, you know, they show like the the training hall and the coaches at the table and, and the commentators now are always so great. I mean, it's like, you know, television quality coverage that you know, probably is only the last couple Olympics that weightlifting's gotten that. Um and so just just trying to appreciate everything and all that all that goes into it. The the Icarus, I used to I don't teach this class anymore, but it's like a long term athlete development class. I when I would show that to them, uh, the first comment always and it's from a bunch of them is I didn't realize sport was that important to that, that important to so many people. You know, the idea that you might do some things that could ruin your life and credibility and could be medically dangerous. And I mean, it's the Icarus stuff with the KGB and the switching out the samples and all that um, is pretty crazy. Um, and so it, illust it illustrates that. Um, and so, uh, you know, just more more and more as much appreciation for for 
uh, an understanding, right, of, 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 of what goes on, I think is, is really valuable. Yeah, I'm taking notes right now because that's it's extremely valuable and something that is really interesting to think about from like the opposite side of the spectrum um, when it comes to building culture with teams and your student athletes because yeah they're getting caught up in all the wrong things versus I think that's just gives them a little bit more insight and you know and perception and and really looking at things from a different lens. I think one of the big challenges and uh, myself and some other faculty have this conversation quite often is with growing up in social media, I know this talks about all the time of like, this is the first group really to where like, you could probably go on their parents' Facebook pages and find them as children. Um, And, and so growing up in that social media, uh, you know, when when I was in when I was a freshman in college, the Facebook came out, uh, and it was just for college. Yeah, we've seen the movie, right? So, um, I'm getting I was getting that stuff later to where the internal versus external, the intrinsic versus the extrinsic, I should say, uh, mo- motivation of uh, you know being so hyper aware what others might think and being driven so much through through that lens versus the more intrinsic I want to be as good as I can be this is how I view training and being an athlete um I think it's I think it's a a a big challenge and um I think that it won't be a while before we really probably maybe better understand how to uh to deal with with some of that with health you know things just probably change a little bit more rapidly than they used to yeah, and I think we look at it from a lens of a, uh, of course, recruiting. When we lose a recruit to somebody else, like why is this happening? And whether it's like the name, image, and likeness stuff, or whatever it may be. But like, kids not only are being recruited from a really young age, but now like they're getting offered things on top of just a scholarship, right? So, mm-hmm. kids, that means that their egos are being stroked even more now than ever, um, and with the social media and like making additional money to maybe their full scholarship. It's just, how do you manage, you know, humility, you know, when you bring a team together, because it's not just about one player for a lot of different sports. It's about a cohesive unit working together for the team sports. So it's a, a new, a new angle that we have to look there's at. There's about, there's you know? about five or six people in this building that could talk to this, this aspect of what I'm about to say much better than I can, but you know, if if you look at 90s, probably spilling into early mid 2000s, um, the amount of physical activity, you know, non-structured play, uh, you know, the idea that you have quite a bit. I mean, I remember having PE multiple times a week before that. I've heard people that had PE every single day, um, physical education free play, um, and then doing a lot of different sports. Um, I think that, you know, early specialization and all that is talked about all the time within LTAD, but, you know, you have that cultural societal stuff of, um, it's not just when, you know, how many sports does, does the, does the young athlete play and how serious and, and at what, you know, how, how much are they being pushed and, and all that, but just like um, 
the how formal sport has become and uh you know to where there was a whole lot more non-formal stuff and hours and hours and hours of sport slash physical activity i mean um i don't know if this is normal or not but like an hour and a half to two hours of recess was normal for me in in elementary school and then hours on the playground and then actual like more formal sport where i think the formal sport for so many kids now um is mostly all they do um in sport and so it it you know that definitely has to affect how they how they view sport and and being an athlete Yeah, it definitely narrows their scope. I had a whole heck of a lot of recess and that was the best time of the day for sure for me, just being, I love playing sports and doing multiple sports growing up. And you're you're a little bit more in, in it with your precious daughter, Guy. I see her doing a little bit of everything. So, but just understanding kind of like- It's, it's something I think stuff. about all the time because um, it, it, and we actually live in a pretty good neighborhood where there are kids around running around and, and, and playing and stuff, but it's still, it just isn't, it just isn't the same. And I think until I had a child, I didn't think of it as much. I mean, I thought of it now and then, but I went to an elementary school where um, it was incredibly old school style of uh, after like two hours of teaching, we had all these assignments. And then once you were done with that, and so it's kind of open-ended, like these are the things you have to do. And then when you're done, you have recess the rest of the day. So there was incentive to get your stuff done. And so, I mean, sometimes a two hours worth of recess was a thing. Um, and to where, you know, kids being kids are going to do things like, you know, basketball and football and various sports and where the the coaches and the referees and, and all of those things. Um and I think that is so helpful. I mean, it doesn't have to be exactly that version. And it, I mean, it probably won't be with the way things are. Um, but everything being so formal and then the social media, the, you know, it's it's talked about all the time how young athletes, collegiate athletes have such difficulty coping with, with stress. And, um, you know, I... I would have been a college athlete. I graduated in 2008. So I would like to think it wasn't that long ago. I don't remember much of any of that. And, and it's not just something people talk about. It's, it's, it's real. Um, worked with plenty of athletes here. Um, I have a lot, I actually have several former WVU athletes that are weightlifters or grad students that were athletes um, in, in, in college. And, and so, you know, things have changed pretty quickly in a short period of time. Yes, we could probably talk about this topic for a very long period of time, but for the sake of this episode, maybe we schedule another, yep. we can get, get your folks of the hallway or wherever you're located on campus together. But um, all right, guys, since I have you on here, this is a question I just have to ask because I sadly wasn't lucky enough to be mentored by the great stones. Um, your dad has really cool friends that he knew Doc Stone, so I'm jealous. My parents need to uh, level up. But um, I'm curious what some of the best advice that they ever gave you throughout your very long like time with them. And then I'm sure the relationship is still fantastic. So I this one was the one I thought the most about when I, when I saw the list. <laughs> um, and, and honestly, like, 
Doc and Meg are so just lead by example and are just so like every day is important and every day we're going to do good stuff and, and, um, and get better. And, um, you know, there's, there was always that blend of like, even lunch is, I mean, we enjoy lunch, but it's also the whole time is in some way work related conversation. Um, and so I, I actually surprised, surprisingly maybe struggled with coming up with a, a bunch of uh, uh, lines and quotes. But one of the things that I've heard Doc say many, many times is um, there are there are two types of people in this world. Um, there are there are people that go along with the world and there are people that make the world go. And there's a whole lot less in that second group. And so, I mean, I think that that kind of describes Doc's worldview and, and how he's gone about um, his his life and, and, and his work. Um, as far as Meg, so I, I mean, I have so many uh, memories and, 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 and stories in that, but this isn't, this, this wasn't necessarily a quote of like uh, trying to teach me anything, but it's something I'll never forget. I thought this one was worth sharing. So uh, I was at their house and we would have been watching. I don't, it would have been a football game and I don't remember um, uh, who would have been playing, but it had been at the LA Coliseum. And so the LA Coliseum would have been where she would have competed at the 84 Olympics. Um, and, and, and then also they, there was a very big time track, uh, track complex. And so this actually wasn't in reference to an Olympic games, but I remember, uh, just probably half asleep sitting on the, the couch there and they were either coming back from commercial or going to commercial. And so they, they, they do the big pan out in the, in the blimp and you see the Coliseum and you see the Pacific ocean and and Meg Meg goes. I'll never forget getting second place. I can't remember what meet it was. It was a real big track meet. I got second place, and after I got off of the podium, I ran right into the tunnel and right out of the stadium, and I threw that medal in the Pacific Ocean. Oh my gosh, that's amazing! And and you know, there's I have there's other kind of similar stories of, of, of that to where um, you sometimes forget their accomplishments and who they are and, 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 and what they've done. And, um, you know, when I'd have been around Meg for eight years, it had been a little bit removed from her being a 250 kilo squatter, a 160 kilo uh, power clean. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, a doc example of that, he was all fired up about something. And uh, I remember um, him telling me something about, and this is actually, I should preface this with doc and Meg, both the most humble people you'll ever meet. And I think that's an, a, a quality of, of, of the, 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 the really good ones. Right. Um, uh, but he, he, told me this story about how when he was the chair of sport in uh in edinburgh that um they have you sign a book and edinburgh is like one of the uh, oldest oldest universities on earth and uh 
I don't know exactly, like 1,400, 1,500, something crazy like that. And he said, all the chairs have to sign a book. And he told me that um, that when he when he was asked to sign it, he went through it quickly. And uh, Thomas Edison and Jonas Salk had had signed that had signed that book. And I think that <laughs> he was again, that's very not him to say something like that. Um, but it is special to so special to get clued into like, you know, I'm just so lucky. I'm so lucky to be here and be around these people um, because it's like once in a couple of years, something like that kind of gets said. And, you know, who knows what what might motivate those uh, those 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 certain things. But it kind of brings you to this place of like. To me, they're just regular people that I, I get to get to, to work with. But um, yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of experience, a lot of accomplishments. And, um, you know, they're, they're people that they as long as they've been doing this stuff, everything's cumulative, you know, and, and so they continue to grow and, and and continue to add on experiences and gain more wisdom. And and um, that's that's, I think, a really good lesson uh, to, to, to go by with like I I stole this. I steal this from Clive Brewer all the time, but uh, I heard him once say, "You can coach for twenty years, or you can coach one time, one year, twenty times." And so the idea of that continued, that continued growth, um, and to you know, especially once you might get to a place of like, I'm, I have a pretty good knowledge base. I'd like, I'm pretty confident in my skill set. Um, but to not get comfortable with that and to, to continue to, to always want to learn. And um, there's so many good people out there that you can you know, reach out to. And, and, and I mean, honestly, I think like we're probably to a point with research in that where it's just over overwhelming of, of how much is always out there. Yeah. Anyway, I was super grateful uh, guy when I was invited down with Aaron for the West Virginia NSCA clinic last year. And I got to meet, Meg yeah. Stone and um and Doc Stone and then like meeting her then and then it was awesome to see her again in the summer at Summer Strong and I was like I am going to sit right in the front to hear her her words and and she was such a great speaker um and just the knowledge that they both have you have to be grateful anytime you get to be around them like do not be on your phone be very attentive and just soak it all in is is my two cents because they're just uh yeah great humans and clearly they have a tree that lives far and wide and all across the globe so it's yeah. pretty cool that they've had they've it impacted so many people because i think that's just the goal for all of us you know is as we mentor whether it's gas full times like any position it's like how am i impacting them how am i making them better and and yeah to your point like if you're at lunch if you're at dinner you're probably if you want to be great you're probably floating in some way shape or form back towards a work conversation mm-hmm. unless you're like purposefully like hey we're not talking about work right now um but but yeah, really cool to hear. And um, yeah, I, let's finish on that note because I think that's the peak. It doesn't get much better than that, guys. Mm-hmm. So I can't thank you enough for being on the podcast. And I know um, people are probably curious, like what's the the best way to reach out to you, whether it's social media or we can always put your email um, within the the bio and, and all that jazz for the, the episode. So best way to reach out to you via social media, any handles or anything. Yeah, so um my uh, Twitter is uh, Coach Guyton, um, capital C, capital G. And then my email is william.hornsby at uh, mail.wvu.edu. Awesome. 
Well, thanks guys so much for, for joining us on the episode and really talking pits all about being forward thinking and kind of where human performance and sports science and strength conditioning are going. And you definitely were a breath of knowledge to that. So thanks so much. And I hope everyone has a great day. Hail to pit. <laughs>